Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Romans, chapter 2. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Paul was talking to us about the wrath of God. Give me your attention about the wrath of God that was revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Paul said, because they suppress the truth, men fight against God and they hold down the truth and men refuse to recognize God and honor him. And when men refuse to recognize God, then they start to roll downhill. They're holding the truth of God and suppressing the truth of the existence of the creator And then they become futile in their imaginations and their hearts are darkened and they begin to profess themselves to be wise. And Paul said they become fools, morons. And then things begin to spiral downhill as they go from intelligence to ignorance to rejection to idolatry. And because of that, God gave them up to do whatever they wanted to do. Last week, were you with us? I told you that Paul took us there in chapter one into the courtroom to prove that all men are guilty before God. Here we are this morning in chapter 2. It's day 2 in the courtroom. Chapter 1, Paul outlines the guilt of the heathen. In chapter 2, Paul outlines the guilt of the hypocrite, the moralist, and the religious person. Now listen. As Paul is outlining the guilt of the heathen in chapter 1, are you listening? The Jew might be standing by saying, yeah, those perverts, those homosexuals, those sexually immoral people, as Paul gave that arm length list of sins of the heathen. And the Jew might stand back and begin to say, yeah, Paul, you give it to him. You give it to him, Paul. Yeah, they're they're terrible people. And Paul says, hold it in chapter two. Paul says, hold on a minute. Don't get too excited because you, Mr. Jew, are guilty as well. What do you mean, Rodney? Chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Saints, if you're with me, say amen. amen. Therefore you, verse 1, chapter 2, are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever, get this, you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who, what saints? Judge practice the same things but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth underline that against those who practice such things and do you think this O man you who judge those practicing such things and do the same that you will escape the judgment of God or do you despise underline that the riches of his goodness forbearance and long-suffering not knowing that the Goodness of God does what, saints? Leads you to repentance. Stop right there. Give me your attention. 
If you've been around here at Calvary, you know this, audience participation. When you see the word therefore, you want to find out what it's there for. Very good. And the word therefore, here in our text, Paul is referring back to chapter 1. And Paul now turns to the moralist as he refers to chapter 1. He now turns to the moralist, to the religious hypocrite. And he says, now that you know these things, don't be too quick to judge. And for two reasons in verse 1, he says, number one, in the way that you judge another, you condemn yourself. And then secondly, you judge other people, but you do the same things that you're judging other people of. That's why you don't want to be too quick to judge. It was J.B. Phillips who translated this verse this way. He said in verse 1, Now if you feel inclined to set yourself up as a judge of those who sin, let me assure you, whoever you are, that you are in no position to do so. For at whatever point you condemn others, you automatically condemn yourself since you, the judge, Commit the same things. Notice you, the judge, commit the same things. Judging. Paul mentions the word judge. Did you get that? Three times in one verse. Judge. Judging is a hot topic in the Bible. I don't know if you knew. 211 times the word judge is used in the New Testament in one form or another. Matthew chapter 7, this is a famous verse. Verse 1, Jesus said, judge not, and what saints? Be ye not judged. Isn't it amazing, I find, that everybody, every person, especially people who are not Christians, if they know nothing of the Bible, they know that verse. (laughs) Isn't it true? I mean, it's, it's like amazing. There's nothing else about the Bible, but they do know that verse. And it's almost like if you ever say to a non-Christian, it's like the most famous verse and yet the most misapplied. You say to a non you say, well, you know, God doesn't want you doing that thing. And, you know, man, bro, man, that, that's a sinful thing you're doing. I mean, that's this shouldn't be doing that. That's just wrong. You know, everybody knows it. Don't judge me. <laughs> Who are you to judge me? And then all of a sudden, they become biblical in their thinking. (laughs) Judge not, and be ye not judged. Everyone knows that verse. Now listen, we know, listen, that God is the ultimate judge. Amen, saints? We know that, but the Bible is clear. Listen to me, I've got to touch on this quickly. Matthew chapter 7, you order a CD if you want an in-depth teaching on judging. We are clear. The Bible is clear. Christians, we need to judge. And the Bible is very clear that we need to discern or judge another person's sins. We need to judge false teachers. How else will you know if they're false teachers if you don't judge what they're saying? We need to judge a person who says they're a Christian, but they don't act like it. Jesus said, you will know a tree by the fruit that it bears. We need to be fruit inspectors. Say amen, somebody. That's true. Let me tell you. If you say to me, look, 
I'm an apple tree. And I see lemons coming off your branch. Now, I would say to you, you may think you're an apple tree, but I see lemons. Therefore, I am left to conclude that you are a lemon tree. But we need to judge. You understand? Now, if you're taking notes, you write this down. The word judge is the Greek word krino, K-R-I-N-O, krino. And it literally means to decide, to damn, to punish, to judge, to condemnation. In other words, we are not to judge a person to condemnation. Saints, listen, we can't send anybody to heaven or hell. We are not to judge to condemnation, but we are to judge, watch this, to identification and then to restoration. The point of your judging is to judge to identify. If you, whatever you say you are, I need to identify that. And if a person is in sin, well, then I need to re- judge them to not only to identification, but then also to restoration. I need to seek to build them up, not seek to judge them and be harsh toward them. You don't want to be a sin sniffer. You know, people, I smell sin. The gospel Gestapo. You know, you just righteous I'm the bearer of the truth of the word and you're in sin no we need to identify but then also have the heart of restoring the heart of restoration to say to a person that you see in sin bro God doesn't want you to do that that is wrong in the sight of God and God wants to bless you God's got more for your life than that God wants to do a work in your life, and he's got plans for you, and they're plans of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. This is what God has for you, not that low life you're living. God wants to give you life and that more abundantly. You say something like that. You want to restore people. You want to build people up. So you judge to restoration, identification, and then to restoration. And notice Paul says those who judge others are doing the same thing. You know what that is? That's hypocrisy. That's being a hypocrite. The word hypocrite in the Greek language is hypocrite. Very easy, and it means to act on a stage. A hypocrite is an actor. An actor. You know, it reminds me of a story. Listen to this story. It was told of a man who was on his way to attend the costume ball on Sunday evening. And so he was wearing a red suit with a tail and skin-tight mask with horns. He looked like Satan. Well, as he hurried along, he got caught in a rainstorm, and so he sought shelter in a church where the service was ending. (laughs) When he ran into the building, he shocked the members who thought he was the real thing. Of course, a flash of lightning and clap of thunder added to the illusion. The congregation panicked and rushed for the rear exits. The intruder thought the church had been struck with lightning, so he raced in after them. Well, everyone got out except the elderly lady. Turning in fear, she stretched out her hand and she pleaded for mercy. She says, oh, devil, please don't hurt me. I know I've been a member of this church for 30 years and I've been on your side all the time. (laughs) Hypocrisy, man. Don't be a hypocrite. A mask wearer. I don't want to be a mask wearer. You don't want to be judgmental on people. You know, isn't it true that our sin always looks so much worse on somebody else? 
Isn't that true? Your sin looks terrible on other people. And Paul says, listen, to the moralist or to the religious person, Paul says you are guilty. Just like the heathen in chapter 1. Because you practice the same things. Listen, you might not practice fornication of adultery or adultery, but remember what Jesus said. Jesus said it's not just the sin to commit adultery, but if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, remember Jesus said that, then you have committed adultery. If you covet You have stolen. You may not have physically killed anyone in recent days, but if you've driven on the 440 and wanted to kill someone, (laughs) it's true. You see, somebody once said it like this. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And that's very true. It's an issue of the heart. Jesus is always getting to the heart. Y'all understand? He's always getting to the heart of the matter. Oh, I've never committed adultery. Oh, I've never steal anybody's stuff. I never do this and I never do that. And Jesus says, hey, have you ever done it in your heart? Wow, 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 wow. You know, that's what you say in the presence of God. Wow, 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 wow. Because <laughs> you ain't got nothing to say. Because God is right. God is always right. And so the religious person, all they see is the externals. All they see is the outward. And isn't it true about religious, moral people? Aren't they the hardest people to witness to? Isn't that the truth? I mean, you see people, you know, think they're Christians. And you say, hey, are you a Christian? Well, you know, my, my grandfather was a pastor of the first Baptist church. Well, that's not what I ask you. Are you a Christian? Well, I was baptized. Well, that's not what I asked you. Are you a Christian? Well, I had my first communion. I had my confirmation. Catholic. You a Christian? No, I'm Catholic. (laughs) Listen, I was Catholic, too, for many years. Went through confirmation, went through my first communion, did the whole Catholic thing. And I can honestly tell you, I was Catholic, but I wasn't a Christian. Jesus didn't say, be ye Catholic. Jesus didn't say, be ye Protestant. Jesus didn't say, be ye Baptist. (laughs) He didn't say, be ye Lutheran, be ye Wesley, be ye anything, but be ye a follower of me. Jesus didn't say, follow a program. He said, follow me. Jesus didn't say, follow man. He said, follow me. Jesus didn't say, follow religion. He said, what saints follow me? It means follow him. Not the religion. And what happens is when you're trying to share with a moral person, are you listening? When you're trying to share with a religious person, it's almost like you kind of have to first get them unsaved in order to get them saved. The first thing you got to do with a religious or moral person is you got to pull that religious rug from under them, which then makes them mad. And then you've got to show them their need for the gospel. And that's exactly what Paul's doing here in our text. He's trying to share with them as if they are unsaved so that he can get them saved. And Paul says, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are that judges another because you're condemning yourself because you do the same thing. Notice Paul says, we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. You see that in verse 2? God's judgment is based on truth. Now listen, give me your attention. That could be good news or that could be bad news. It could be good news because God knows your heart. 
You know, people say, well, God knows my heart. You know, yeah, brother, you're doing sin. That's not right. Well, God knows my heart. Well, that's the truth. You could not have said anything more true were. God does know your heart. God knows your mind. God knows your motives. He knows your sins. He knows the circumstances that surround that sin. And the good thing is, the good news is when you stand before God, you won't have to explain all that. <laughs> That's good news. But it can be also bad news in that God's judgment is based on truth. It can be bad news because God does know. He also knows the intention of your heart and he will judge based on absolute truth. Nobody is getting away with anything. That is why are you listening when the Bible says that God's judgment is just and it is right. It's because he is judging based on absolute truth. You see, when we judge, we based on whoever's talking to us at that time truth. No, they didn't say that. Are you kidding me? Oh, no, she didn't. This is my truth at the moment. Now I'm going to judge. God has absolute truth. Are you with me? And that's why God's judgment is based on Truth. Notice Paul says in verse three and four, Paul says, because you are religious and because you are moralist, do you think, look at it again in verse three and four, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Do you honestly think that in the day of judgment you will stand before God and God will say, well, you know what? You're an exception to the rule. I mean, after all, you did help Jerry's kids. Hello. I mean, do you think that God's going to make you an exception because you helped the church building project? Do you think you'll escape judgment because you put an extra 10 bucks in the offering? Or you cook for the priest or you cook for the pastor? Do you honestly believe that you're going to go down your own personal list of do's and don'ts and think that because of your own religious self, you will escape God's judgment? Paul says in verse 4, look at it again. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering? And don't you know it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance? This word despise, you ought to write this down, literally means to look down at the nose or to look down the nose. To look down the nose, despise. Paul says, do you think you can look down the nose at God and his goodness? Goodness could be translated kindness. Do you think you can look down a nose at God's forbearance? Could be translated tolerance. Do you think that you can look down the nose at God's long-suffering? Could be translated patience. You think you can look down the nose at God's goodness? You know, listen, the problem with God's goodness is that it is often misinterpreted. What do you mean, Rodney? Well, see, some people think when God doesn't judge them for their sin, that it means that God is tolerant of sin. You know, listen, we talked about this last week. God isn't tolerant of sin. Remember, we talked about God is allergic to sin. God is intolerant of sin. And even worse yet, some people think that God's long suffering, God's goodness and patience is God's approval. God doesn't judge me. He must approve. Well, I know, you know, we've been living together, but we're married in the spirit. Well, we didn't go to the the judge or to the 
church and get married legally. There's nothing legal, but we went to the mountains and got married in the spirit, and then afterward, we hugged the tree. (laughs) Shut up! (laughs) What is this? (laughs) Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, and God, he understands. I mean, we don't need to be married and everything. God understands. If God didn't like it, why doesn't he stop me? Well, you know, I know I'm doing drugs and everything like that, but if God didn't like it, well, then why doesn't he stop me? And then I've had people say, you know, if God doesn't like it, then let a bolt of lightning right now come down here and strike me right now. And I'm like... Back away from the idiot. <laughs> no, this is crazy. Don't touch, don't tempt God. Somebody say amen. amen. Don't tempt God. If God didn't like it, he must approve. Listen, God, here's why God, here's why. Listen, God isn't judging your sin, not because he is tolerant and not because he approves, but God is waiting for you to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's his goodness, his forbearance, his long-suffering is there to bring you to life. And notice the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance, not drives you to repentance. God's goodness is gentle. It leads you to repentance. It doesn't drive you to repentance. You see, when you drive something to repentance, it always ends in disaster. Cain was driven away as a fugitive and a vagabond when he killed his brother Abel. Judas hung himself and was driven by anguish and remorse because he betrayed the Lord. You see, the goodness of God lovingly leads us to repentance. It's his goodness. Don't you remember Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son? You remember the story as he was out living la vida loca, (laughs) the wildlife. Remember the story? And he decides that he had enough with the party scene. And so he goes home and the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 15, verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? You see, he came to himself. But what caused him to come to himself? It was the realization that the father is good. What caused him to come to himself was the goodness of the father. It was the fact that he knew that the father had good things in store for him. His father cared. And it's the goodness of the father that brought him to repentance. Notice the Bible says the goodness of God leads to repentance, not the badness of men. What do you mean? I mean this. You can't feel guilty enough, remorseful enough to cause yourself to want to repent. I'm so bad. Oh, this is terrible. I did a terrible thing and it's a, I need to repent. Listen, that's not going to cause true repentance. It's not. You know why? Because give it a week, give it a month, give it a day. Tomorrow morning you'll feel better about it, whatever it is. You see, not the badness of men that leads to repentance. You can't feel bad enough about your sin. What draws you to repentance is the goodness of God. When you get to the place, listen to me, 
When you get to the place where you realize that God is good, when you realize that God is merciful, when you realize God has been good to you, God has blessed you, God has taken care of you, God has provided for you, the goodness of God will cause you to say, you know what, God does not deserve this from my life. God does not deserve for me to act this way toward him after he's been so good to me. That's what happened with the prodigal son. His dad didn't do anything to him. He went to his dad and asked his dad for an inheritance. He said, Dad, give me my money. Do you know in that culture to go to the father and ask for your inheritance was to wish your father dead? You understand? Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. Give me my inheritance now. He got out there and said, man, the father's been good to me. I need to go home. And he went home. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, not the badness of men. When you realize how good God's been to you, you'll repent. God is good. Amen, saints? God is good, and he only deserves good from you. God was good to Rodney before Rodney became a Christian. God is good to you. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer and you don't know God, God has been good to you. And you may not recognize it right now. You might not understand it right now. You might not even appreciate it right now. But it doesn't change the fact that we serve an awesome and great and good God, and he's been good to you. God is always good to people. That's what they mean when they say he is a good God. It means he's good to people. And the goodness of God leads men to repentance. Lord... Help me. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.